Hello and welcome, welcome to I. <laughs> welcome back to iBiology, the DP revision podcast that should not be your only resource. Please, Please also listen to Mr. Dunn. But if you do want to learn along with us, we're using, as always, um, the study guide from the Oxford um, IB diploma program and also the textbook. Yay! Today we're going to be talking about Unit Nine, Plant Biology, which covers the xylem, the phloem. Uh, Growth and transport. Oh wait, no. yeah, transport and asylum flow makes sense. And uh, flowering and reproduction. Yay! So uh, let's start with nine point one, which is transport in the xylem of the plants. So xylem, basically, it's the place where we transport water. Ah, yeah. So, uh, but because phloem for food and xylem for water. <laughs> So, trans- uh, so, but why do we even need water? Well, for, because water leaves the plant through transpiration, which is described here as the inevitable consequence of gas exchange in the leaf. Ta-dum. And we need water in order for the plant to be stable and upright and like the cells to be turgid because they don't have bones and shit. Yeah, and also because we need it for uh, materials in photosynthesis. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Remember, in photolysis, we split the water. Um, photosynthesis? No. Yeah. Photolysis and photosynthesis. What was photolysis? Uh, can you guess by the name? A photo light splitting? Yeah, we split, the, oh, we, oh, we split the water using the energy in the light. For more of that information, listen back to our photosynthesis episode. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, uh, b- but they also need to have carbon dioxide for photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Plants. Plants. Nice. <laughs> and so in order to get them in, um, uh, the cuticles that cover the leaves, you can't. we can't get in through there. So basically we have pores called stomata through which the uh, gas comes in. The carbon dioxide. Yeah, mm-hmm. the gas containing the carbon dioxide. However, due to... Um, a str- uh, due to a concentration gradient with the water inside, it's a lo- inside the leaf, it's a lot more humid than outside of the leaf. Uh, so thus, water escapes the leaf yes. through this tomato. Yes. Nice. Um, and that is called transpiration. Hmm. And it's try it's it's attempt to be to be minimized by guard cells though. <coughs> that guard the stomata. Yes. So, um, then there's a, a bunch of stuff about some practical skills like measuring transpiration rates using a, a photometer on page 405 with a picture of two students who look way too excited to be using a photometer. <laughs> they were having a photo shoot. Let them be happy. Yeah. Um, and there's a, uh, so, and there's certain factors that imp- impact transpiration though. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the humidity. Uh, if it's more humid, then it, the transpiration rate goes down. Because there's more water on the outside of the plant. Exactly. The water, uh, the water concentration on the outside, the vapor, specifically mm-hmm. water vapor concentration on the outside of the plant is higher, thus mm-hmm. less leaves. Um, leaves. Temperature? Temperature, where uh, the increasing temperature increases the rates of transpiration because um, the kinetic energy means the water vapor will move around more quickly and thus also diffuse more quickly and mm. also the water evaporates more quickly. Okay, more light? Uh, more uh, more light, I 
yeah, more light also increases the rates of transpiration because more light means more photosynthesis, which means we need more CO2, meaning the stomata are open more. Hmm. More wind? Uh, more wind also increases transpiration because um, the increase in wind will uh, mean that the water, the humid air right below the stomata is blown away more easily. Uh-huh. So it's... Ah, yeah. Yeah. But isn't there a point where there's so much wind that the transpiration drops again? Yes, exactly. That is when the stomata close. Ah, okay. I am more than happy to hear. Yeah, <laughs> there's, okay. there, there's pictures of those graphs um, on page 112. Of the uh, study, study guide. guide. Yes. So let's talk about the xylem actually now. So the xylem has a specific structure. Uh, basically, it ha- it's a very... Um, they're long, continuous tubes... That have that are very rigid, specifically, uh, they're lignified, so they are made, um, so they're reinforced with lignin. What is lignin? Lignin is a molecule that uh, makes uh, that increases the structure. It's what I was like a skeleton-ish thing. I mean, if you want to say it like that, but it's basically what makes wood woody. Ah, so vegetables with a lot of lignin are like hard to chew and stuff. Isn't that the thing? I think yeah. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, that makes that would make sense. So, <laughs> I could talk a bit more about it, but... <laughs> we don't need your extended essay right here. Yes. Um, so, then... What? Are we going to talk about the structure of the xylem? That's the stem. Uh, that's the flow of shit. I mean, the... Z- Wait. What? You're oh, lo- never mind. I'm being stupid. The, don't that, listen to me. Those, yeah, those are... Don't she, listen to me. She was looking at diagrams. I mean, this... That's what we're doing right now. Okay. That's what I've been talking about, that they're not continuing. <laughs> uh, vessels, uh, specifically, that if you um, also look on page 115 of the study guide, they have helically shaped, like, thickened um, spaces, uh, which I believe helps with the, uh, co- uh, with the adhesive properties of water. Uh, because the water adhe- uh, adheres to the wall of the xylem? Yes. But also, what's important is the cohesion of the water. They stick to each other. Yes. Properties of water. Listen to episode, I don't know which one. First one, second one? Third, I believe. Third <laughs> or fourth. Um, so, because, of the, uh, because the water sticks together, it means that when water is taken up by the plant, the rest follows in a continuous column because the hydrogen bonds between the water cause them to um, follow one another due to their attraction. Yep. So that uh, so that means that there's a continuous stream, which is also called the transpiration stream. Ah, that basically describes the describes the transport of water from the root to the leaves, right? Yes. And if I had like a four point or six point question on I don't know describe the transpiration stream, how would I like start? Well, you can. Well, most lo- it would make most sense to either start at the leaf where the transpiration happens or at the roots. Speaking of. <laughs> Damn. The, the, um, uh, so the way that we get water is obviously through the roots. The, uh, they take it in by osmosis. Mm. This is done because there's a higher... Uh, solute concentration inside the root. So yes. the water travels inside the root because, you know... And how do we get that? How do we get what? The high solute concentration. Active transport, bitches. I think. Yes. No? Yes! <laughs> With uh, specifically minerals. Uh, mineral ions are absorbed by active transport into the root. 
Yeah. Yeah. That basically. If you were asked to name four membrane proteins, what would you say? <laughs> I heard, I saw that in a past paper question. I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> like channel proteins? I mean, pumps? yeah, ch- channel proteins, pumps, uh, glycoproteins. There's also um, ones that, uh, there's. Once uh, receptor proteins. What? Ah, oh yeah. Okay. There's, there's a couple others, but that's not really part of this unit. <laughs> okay. We can talk about that later. So higher solute concentration inside the root because of active transport. Yes. Um, the thing is that uh, sometimes, though, the ions bind to particles in the soil. The ions bind to particles in the soil. Why would they do that? Because it, that's the chemistry works. <laughs> and then why is that important? Well, now then, uh, then they can't really take them in as easily now, can they? Huh. So instead, what they have to do is that they have to form a mutualistic relationship with some fungi. Oh, nice. Basically, and then the fungi, uh, fungal high phase, hmm. uh, allow for easier uptake of the ions. Wait. Oh, and then the ions are taken up through the high phase and then move into the plant. Yeah. And because and the hyphae basically, um, and again it is mutualistic because plants supply sugars and nutrients to the fungus, and the fungus uh, and obviously the fungus helps supply ions to the plant. Nice. Okay. So, um, yeah, the, uh, and then there's an uh, then there's a diagram of the transpiration stream on page four hundred and nine of the textbook where it shows it going up from the roots through the uh, stem. Um, and then specifically, there's a, a te- uh, there's a tension, so suck, uh, the suction coming because of the water leaving. It's uh, it goes from the vessel into the leaf mm-hmm. because of the suction. The Which t- suction? Where's the suction? The suction is coming from the fact that water is being taken out at one end, so uh, and mm. uh, thus leaving a lower pressure, which then the new water vapor oh, yeah. needs to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we also need to know about adaptations that plants do when there's not a lot of water around. Specifically, xerophytes and halophytes. No, wait. Yeah, and halophytes. Oh, yeah. Halophytes. Xerophytes are plants that have live in very dry environments. So, thus, their adaptations are specific to trying to conserve water. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find that their leaves may, might be reduced to spines. So that way they don't, uh, so that way there's not a bunch of stomata on the uh, bottom of the leaves, like just giving it out. Plus, also, an- animals won't actually eat the plant and take the water from the plant <laughs> because spiky. spiky yeah, then there's uh, the stems can be uh, are often a lot uh, thicker because they have water storage tissue, mm-hmm. and so they can expand rapidly. Uh, then there's also the ability to store carbon dioxide. That way, they can open their stomata in the night when there's not a lot of sun causing transpir- when there's not a lot of heat mm-hmm. causing transpiration, um, and instead uh, and absorb a bunch of carbon dioxide by opening their stomata then mm-hmm. and then closing it off during the day, but using the carbon dioxide they got during the night to be able to still photosynthesize. Mm-hmm. Smart. Wait, so they don't? They, so they close their stomata during the day? Yep. Like, oh yeah. So the, or they, they also have just, very thick waxy cuticles. Yes, they have very thick waxy cuticles. Um, yeah, and I think that's the main. And also, their um, stomata actually may be sunken in, because that way mm. the uh, because think about it, if you're uh, if there's 
if there's just a straight layer between um, the outside and the inside, well, it's more likely to go to the outside. Mm. But if it's like sunken in, then it has to like like coiled in sort of coiled in. Then it would have to diffuse around some corners in order. Oh, to also, if you out. look for example at at cactuses, cacti, cacti, um, they're more like narrow and like vertical so they don't have a large surface area for the sun to hit so the sun is going to hit during the morning and <coughs> during the evening where it's not as intense and during the day it has relatively low like small area surface area to hit so then halophytes are specifically for water conservation be- uh, because they live in halophytes soil. yeah they live in salty uh, soils yeah very salty soils and they also have um, the leaves reduced to uh, small scaly structures or spines. Um, they shed their leaves when it's water scarce. Um, the water uh, then there's a lot of water storage structure and again sunken stomatas, long roots, and they and they also specifically have things for removing uh, salt buildup. Mm-hmm. Mm. Isn't it that they can like like have a high solute concentration something something. And they can like take up more solutes or like get them away out of them. Yeah, I think that's what they mean with they have structures for removing salt buildup. Hmm. Okay. So now drawing xylem vessels. Let's talk talk about that. Hmm. Okay. Um, specifically, um, you, if you're actually part of a biology class, you probably did that. You looked at a microscope and uh, looked through a microscope and drew a dicotyledonous stem, a stem, for example. Um, basically, you'll have seen that uh, there's a, there's kind of two layers and then there's a bunch of beans around, like <laughs> ovals around it. Mm-hmm. There's a pith in the middle, a cortex on the side, and then on the very outside, a thin layer, the epidermis. And then uh, there's vascular bundles, which are the ovals, which are split up on the xylem inside, the cambium in the middle, and the phloem on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the other word for cambium? Uh, meristem. Meristem, right. And if we draw an, um, 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 if we draw a diagram of this, do we also draw this dotted line? I guess so, because mm. there is not a clear boundary, but there are there are different places. Mm. The pit, the cortex. Okay. Also, this is like the third time a cortex has been brought up in biological context. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also the. Phloem, I believe, is the one that usually has thicker, uh, has usually larger tubes, and the xylem has smaller ones. Yeah. If you Wait, forget, no, no, the xylem has. Sorry, the xylem has uh, thicker tubes, and the phloem has smaller no. ones. The xylem is on the inside; it has smaller tubes. Ah, no, wait, never mind. I'm mixed with. Yeah, the the xylem has the larger tubes because you know. Xylem carries water. Water is very important. Xylem is centered bitch and so she's always at the center and she wants the attention okay let's talk about phloems (laughs) (laughs) so uh instead essentially uh phloems uh, it's moved by they move organic solutes Mm -hmm. so sugars essentially uh and this is called translocation basically we're locating one thing to another place Hmm. Uh, and it goes from source to sink so in uh, source to sink also is kind of in the xylem except there it's very straightforward. The source is the roots, the sink is the leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, sources and sinks can be variable. In so, phloem. In phloem's case. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so for uh, sources might be photosynthetic tissue, so where the sugar is actually made, mm-hmm. or it might be where it's been stored. Mm-hmm. And sinks could be places where it was stored, or uh, like when we're taking it from the photosynthetic tissue to where it's supposed to be stored, or alternatively into places that actually need the sugar to be broken and down by cell res- uh, for cell respiration mm-hmm. for energy. Okay, next, uh, so how do we get the sugar into the tube? Essentially, at the side of the phloem, there's companion cells. So, uh, we're talking about, um, th- like this right now, or like... Yeah, phloem loading. Okay, so basically I have, I have my leaf and I want to, no, I have my root and I want to have some mineral go from the root into the phloem or what? Uh, I don't think it would be stored in the roots. But you tr- like for example, uh, for example, sucrose we would try to get from a leaf, let's say, into the phloem. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? How do we do that? Essentially, um, we take uh, the f- um, so sucrose is the most prevalent uh, th- solute in the phloem sap, mm-hmm. and what happens is that we use a co-transporter. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, in the process of phloem loading. Uh, the, we get a sucrose uh, gradient by pumping H plus outside uh, outside of the cell, so then it is co-transported with sucrose into the cell. Thanks. Nochmal. Um, I have this as my sucrose here, and this is my phloem. Yes. And where do the H pluses go? Uh, they go out. I believe outside of the compa- uh, They go in between the space of the cell walls. So the this space or this space because this is the companion cell, right? Yes. Yeah. And then the H plus go in between here or in between here. Um, it's uh, just uh, so it's best. Uh, the textbook just says that the energy released is used to carry sucrose into the companion cell sieve tube complex. So I assume into the companion cell. Mm-hmm. So again, they pump out. Uh, they uh, so H plus is pumped out of the companion cell using um, a proton pump into the space between the cell walls mm-hmm. and that way the uh, and that the co-transporter which co- uh, transports H plus and sucrose back into the cell mm-hmm. okay okay make sense yeah and then from the companion cell into the floor yes okay so, um, yeah and then also uh, and then it also says that in other species, much of the sucrose travels between cells through plasmodesmata. Mm-hmm. What are those? <laughs> uh, those are those are just connections between cells. Okay. Remember, they're the uh, if you remember drawing uh, it's plant cells, you'd always have those gaps at the side where the cell wall stopped. That, that those and those were the plasmodesmata. Not really, but okay. They're. <laughs> <laughs> they're just connections mm-hmm. and so that you uh, so you can either take the symplast route or the apoplast route right symplast and going through the cells apoplast through the cell walls mm-hmm. so but how do we actually um have we talked about the structure of the phloems of tubes i mean we're going to get there when we talk about how it actually moves through okay so um the way that uh, the way that it actually goes through, that is what goes actually th- goes through. Okay, so the way that the uh, sucrose actually moves through the phloem mm-hmm. 
is first of all uh, the phloem is situated next to the xylem right mm -hmm. and because there's now a high solute concentration in the phloem uh, through osmosis water goes into the phloem from the xylem yes uh. but then we suddenly we, we can't compress water there can't be an infinite amount of water in this space so instead the water wants to flow away and so instead it flows to a region of lower uh, of lower pressure Mm, so in the xylem, the water moves to the area of lower pressure. No, no. In, in the xylem, it flows there via osmosis, and then in the phloem, we don't. Or we need to. Uh, we can't compress the water. Mm -hmm. So because there's now new water entering the phloem, it has to move down. It has to move mm -hmm. away to where there's not as much water. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, now, but we obviously the plant can't just have. Uh, it going anywhere. It wants it to go to the sink, mm -hmm. right? So the uh, sieve tubes mm -hmm. uh, have, well, sieves. Specifically, they have small plasmodesmata, uh, uh, pla oh, sorry, plasmodesmata narrow cytoplasmic connections with adjacent uh, companion cells in order to move it back out. But um, they also have this sieve plates, which you can close off or open up, depending on where it wants the water to go. Mm. So if you uh, you can kind of imagine it as if you were opening and closing gates uh, to, to redirect the flow of the water mm -hmm. to make sure that it go uh, and remember because this water has um, sh a sugar uh, has sugar dissolved in it and so basically we're transporting the sugar lid okay yeah so uh, how do we measure flow and transport we use animals <laughs> yeah essentially. Um, well, you need to know about experiments with aphids. Now, aphids, they're small insects uh, which feed on plants using, uh, uh, using basically a mouth uh, called st with stylets. Basically, they have like a, like a an extended sting mouth and then they sting through the plant into and the phloem. Into the phloem and for some reason they find the phloem and then they suck on the phloem. But basically, and if we want to test phloem transport, what is then done is that the stylet is cut off from the aphid. Yeah. Rude. Very rude. <laughs> and then, um, but because the stylet is basically providing a tube, the phloem sap comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th th that's it. You just need to know that that is something we can use. Uh, um, I need to know about this. Detecting traces of plant hormones? Um, I don't believe we've ever like studied this in class. Big white machines that do chemistry. Yay! <laughs> okay, next. Plant hormones. If, if, we, if, 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 if we do need to know, well, we're kind of screwed. But oh, <laughs> our uh, it is currently Sunday. Our biology exam is on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about growth in plants. So, uh, growth in plants, basically. Uh, the meristem, so remember, uh, so there can be different meristems. You might have remembered that we called uh, the caps, the cambium, also a meristem because that allows that's a lateral meristem that can allow for the uh, growth laterally up. Um, but there's also the apical meristem, which is basically at the top, uh, which is basically at the top of any like growing branch. Where is the lateral meristem? Uh, in the uh, stem, like the arms of the stem, for example. like yeah, in the central. Uh, in the, I think in the central stem it was with yeah, it's for th 
for thickening out. The oh. apical meristem is for growing forward or up. Ah, wait. Oh, wait, there's meristem. Wait, is meristem an actual stem or just like a material? Or no, the, the, the meristem is... Uh, so, the meristem is the part of the stem. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I did. I'll leave. <laughs> I hope. I hope that's correct. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um... And that's because of the undifferentiated cells in the meristem. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, exactly. Many dicotyledonous plants also develop lateral meristems. Dicotyledonous plants being what again? Uh, they're based, so there is monocotyledonous and dicotyledonous stem. Mm-hmm. Mono? Uh, so not just stems, plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it de- uh, and they're named after their seeds. Uh, I believe an example of monocotyledonous uh, plants are corn. Because if you ever looked at their seed, it just has it's a it has a monocotyledonous seed. It has a monocot. It's just a kind of one seed thing. It's not divided mm. into two halves. But for example, a lot of other um, plants, for example, ones ones that produce beans are dicotyledonous. Because you'll notice there's always like kind of the two halves of the bean. Ah, oh, true. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, so basically, mitosis uh, is used. But so does that mean that only dicotyledonous plants have lateral meristems? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Many, so many. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's why you'll never see corn have a really thick stem. Ah, because it's monocotyledonous. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna double check that after the episode. If there's no correction here, that was correct. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, mitosis and the uh, cell division allow uh, that the stem goes up and up and up mm-hmm. basically <laughs> but uh, specific uh, but we obviously we need to know more than that specifically the hormones that are involved most uh, majorly indo 3 acetic acid what iaa also known as auxin <laughs> thank god or a type of auxin i can just call it auxin then right yeah it's it's auxins are just the general hormone and iaa is the most common version of it mm-hmm um, so essentially, um, IAA in the uh, in the stem inhibits growth. Wait, no, in, sorry, not inhibits growth. Um, uh, stimulates growth. Mm-hmm. So, how is that used? Well, it's used with tropism. Mm-hmm. Tropis, uh, tropism is how uh, is growth responses to directional external stimuli, aka light. Not necessarily light. It could also be uh, gravity. That's oh. that's the difference between phototropism, light tropism, mm-hmm. and gravitropism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So oxen in uh, so oxen what, what it does it changes the gene expression in the cells. Yes, in order to uh, in order to uh, I believe weaken the cell wall so the cell can extend. Mm-hmm. There's a diagram of this on page 118 of the study guide. Yeah. Specifically, let's look at intracellular pumps and phototropism. Essentially, what happens is that when we have, um, because remember, in this in the stem, the auxin uh, stimulates uh, cell extension, uh, extension, so cell growth. Mm-hmm. So when there's uh, light coming from one side, it causes um, cell, uh, it causes PIN three proteins to transport auxin to the uh, shadowy side of the stem. Come to the dark side of the stem, the dome. Yes. At that point, there's more cell elongation on uh, on the darker side than on the lighter side, meaning that the stem 
bends and grows towards the light. So again, mm -hmm. there's a, a diagram of this on page 426 of the textbook or 118 of the study guide. Mm -hmm. Can you um, can you repeat the like the thing that moves the oxen to the dark side? P, uh, a pin three proteins, P I N three. And they, uh, where do they have the oxen from? They just transport the oxen. Uh. Uh, the I believe yeah the apical meristem secretes the oxen. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay. Then also, and then there's also gravitropism. Mm -hmm. So it's because we want the roots to go deep in order to anchor them into the ground and get a bunch of water. So what um, happens is that uh, the cellular organelles called statoliths oh um, mm -hmm. basically uh, accum uh, accumulate uh, on the bottom of the cells because of gravity mm -hmm. they just fall down um, and then uh, there's more PIN3 proteins on the bottom mm -hmm. meaning that auxin is moved towards the bottom mm -hmm. now you might think that that means that the bottom will be uh, longer but no because in roots auxin inhibits growth so in 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 the in the apical meristems no no there's also apical meristems in the roots we're talking in uh, the shoots it yeah. stimulates oxen stimulates growth in the roots it inhibits growth yes Lit. so that way it grows downwards also so if there's no if the response is equal uh, so if the response is equal either in terms of gravity or in terms of light then it'll just go straight up hmm. or straight down okay because there's equal inhibition or equal elongation on both sides. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, Structure of flowers. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet? Okay. Um, or is it yes? <laughs> I'm just quickly checking that there, uh, because there was... Right there. Otherwise, the gibberellins. Okay, yeah, no, it is then flowering and gene expression. Yay. Basically, what you should know is that, so this is now reproduction plants, 9.4. Uh, what you need to know is that uh, what flower looks like. <laughs> essentially, uh, there is a diagram on page 119 of the textbook, or of the study guide, and page 431 of the textbook um, that shows an animal pollinated flower with the fil uh, so there's the filament there's the and the anther um uh, so yeah uh, <laughs> and uh you know stigma style ovary in the middle to as the female reproductive system sep and sepals and petals to to attract again i think it, it's not it, it's not really worth it to try and describe it to you to just attract pollination look it up i guess mm -hmm. sorry um so let's look at flowering Mm -hmm. What is what impacts flowering? Uh, short days and long long days. <laughs> That's all I know. Yeah. So plants are often either short day plants or long day plants. What ha uh, so uh, and they are impacted uh, by how long it is dark for, or how long it is light for. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the the day, uh, the length of the day doesn't really matter. It's the length of the darkness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's either um, PR or PFR, mm -hmm. which are um, just making sure does it actually photo yeah right photochrome red and photo uh, photochrome far red yeah okay 
So photochrome red uh, basically changes to photochrome far red in red light, which is about 660 nanometers, or in white light, bec because that contains red light. Mm -hmm. Photochrome far red switches into photochrome red uh, in far red light. Okay, so however, what does that mean for plants? However, photochrome far red also slowly changes into photochrome red in the darkness. I am already so confused. It's, there's a, a, a diagram of this on page 413. The main things that you need to do, know is that phytochrome red, basically d during the day, if the day is long, the phytochrome red, all of the phytochrome red will be converted into phytochrome far red. Mm -hmm. And if the day is short? Um, I don't actually, uh, it, it doesn't matter. The usually just during the day, all of the phytochrome red will convert into phytochrome far but red. what does that do for the plant? It's what happens during the night that's important, remember? Okay, what happens? Because the in the darkness, the phytochrome forward slowly converts into the phytochrome red. Mm -hmm. So during long, uh, uh, during long days, we're not going to have enough darkness in order for the, all of the phytochrome forward to convert. So we're going to have some left at the end of the day. At the end of the night. At the end of the night, right. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in uh, short days, all of the phytochrome forward will be able to convert. Mm -hmm. That means that we can use the phytochrome far red as a signal of whether there's currently long days or short days going on. Ah, uh, wait. So wait. In in long days, at the end of the night, um, there's gonna be phytochrome far red left, and that signals to the plant what? That it's currently a long day. So that it can start flowering. Depends if they're a long day plant or a short mm. day plant. Okay. But yes, so in long day plants, if there's large amounts of phytochrome far red at the end of short nights, they will bind to a receptor, which then uh, promotes the transcription of the FT gene, mm -hmm. um, which is literally the flowering time gene. <laughs> Biology can be simple sometimes. So, uh, yeah, then the FT gene is activated and it is... And it tells flowering. the plant to flower. Me meanwhile, in short day plants, uh, the receptor inhibits the transcription. So, the it, transcription of what? The transcription of the FT gene. Ah, so in, in, in short day plants, uh, there will not be FT genes? Well, if it's a long day. No, if, if it's a short day. If it's a short day, there will be FT genes. Because remember, it's, it's about whether phytochrome forward inhibits the receptor or whether binding to the receptor triggers uh, the um transcription of genes you got me i i understand until the point where you say okay there's phytochrome okay. forward left at the end of the night so okay there's a receptor mm -hmm. and the receptor detects the phytochrome forward mm -hmm. now if there is phytochrome uh, now because if you're a plant if you're a short day plant you don't uh, you you, you do want there to be. Uh, you don't want there to be phytochrome far red. Well, there w just won't be phytochrome far red at the end of the night. But if you're a short day plant, yeah, you don't always know whether it's a short day or a long day. No, you know that it's going to be a short day because there's phytochrome far red. There's no phytochrome far red left exactly. at the end of the night. So the receptor, if it, the receptor is triggered by the phytochrome far red, it will inhibit the transcription. And what what will FT gene do flowering time? It'll still it'll still promote uh, the FT gene will still make the plant flower, mm -hmm. but it just uh, but it's uh, but rather than being promoted by the receptor, it will be inhibited by the receptor. The 
the receptor doesn't even get phytochrome fluoride because there is no well, phytochrome fluoride left at the end of the night. <laughs> it does if it's not a short day. Plants are around all year. They just, and they need to know when it's time to flower. Okay, think about it. Your short day, but uh, your short day plant. Which means I flower during short days. But currently it's summer, so there's very long days. Oh, I thought we were talking about short, we were talking about, okay, there are short days now, so I, my plant wants to no, flower. It's, uh, no, I was just talking okay, about it in general. Okay, the scenario is this, I'm a, I'm a short day plant, it's, it's during the summer, so there are long days, what happens? Well, if you're a short day plant, during the summer there are long days, so there's phytochrome far red left at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. That means that the phytochrome far red is going to be inhibiting so the receptor, it's still binding to the receptor, mm -hmm. but that receptor is inhibiting gene transcription. Mm -hmm. However, then once the days become shorter again, mm -hmm. and there's no more phytochrome forward in the receptors, mm -hmm. there's no more inhibition happening, so now the FT gene is transcribed. Aha! Yes. Okay. You understand now? Yes. And then the, and again, in the other one, it promotes it, the receptor. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a long day plant now, so... And you're basically waiting for the receptor to be activated by the phytochrome forward mm -hmm. to know when the days are long enough. Okay. okay, okay, I got it now. And basically, so if we want to try and get plants to flower out of season, uh, then we can, for example, uh, so for example, if it's a long day plant and we're trying to... Um, Just put light to it. Like exactly. Uh, we don't even need to, but we don't need, even need to light it for the entire day. We can just uh, do a bit of, uh, we can just uh, light it a bit in the middle of the night because that way a bunch of the phytochrome um, uh, red will be trans, uh, will be put back into phytochrome far red because mm -hmm. it, that's a lot faster mm -hmm. than the phytochrome. So technically I can have a plant flower throughout the entire year? I guess, yeah. If I'm willing to like take care of lighting and shit? Yeah. Oof. Okay. I mean, that's what people do that sell flowers. Oh yeah, fair. That's why you couldn't get roses all year round. I don't know if they're short day plants or long day plants. I just they're long long day plants. Roses. Have you ever seen roses naturally during the winter? Well, it's not necessarily during the winter. It might also be during the autumn or fall. No, no. Roses pl uh, are there during like June, July. Okay, I don't know. I don't keep roses. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, now. Okay, now we've got now we've started flowering. But we, you still want your um, things to be pollinated, right? My flowers to be pollinated, yeah. Yeah. What you, what you use is... Um, so most flowers... Most flowers uh, use... Um, uh, po so use animal pollination. So a lot of flowers use animal mm -hmm. pollination. Uh, sometimes, however, it can also be used with wind and less commonly water. But Water pollination? How the fuck would that work? With water plants oh more <laughs> yeah um but most commonly with animals and those animals are known as pollinators they're mostly flying animals like insects and birds exactly and bats sometimes <laughs> yeah uh what what they do is it's a mutualistic relationship because they uh the animals they go and get the nectar of the flower which obviously is very good for them because they get food um and it's nice and sugary and sweet for them and the uh, plant and because why aren't animals not diabetic well <laughs> <laughs> never mind <laughs> are there bats that eat meat 
Well, they're definitely ones that suck blood. Oh, so this and bat they eat is insect. a vegetarian bat. They might also be omnivorous. Right. Okay. <laughs> Back to pollination. Yeah, they drink yes. the sap from the plant and then in the and meantime carry the pollen. Beca- pollen. And because they get they take the pollen from the one plant, but now they're uh, but obviously they're not going to be satisfied by one flower, so they're going to go to the next one and then gluttonous. Carry- Hmm? Carry the pollen of that uh, and carry the pollen of the previous flower to the next flower. Yeah. So then let's say, okay, great, we fertilize them. So after pollination, uh, after pollination, pollination hmm? uh, the pollen grain on the stigma grows down. Uh, so a tube goes down from the uh, down the style to the ovary, and the pollen tube carries the male gametes to the ovary, mm-hmm. which is then fertilized, and it develops into a seed. And now we need seed dispersal. Yeah. So again, there can be uh, different ways to spread uh, because we wanted to go very far so that there's not a lot of competition for resources between the parents and the offspring. Or between the offspring and the offspring. Yes. So instead, uh, we might use fruit. That way uh, animals eat it, uh, eat the fruit and then disperse the out. seeds. Yes. <laughs> um, you might, uh, some plants are explosive. Oh yeah. Fun. Some are carried by the wind, some seeds. Yeah. yeah, so here it says even dry and explosive, fleshy and attractive for animals to eat, feathery or winged to catch the wind, or covered in hooks that catch onto the coats of animals. Hmm. Nice. Um, and finally, seed structure. Now we've got the seed, but how do we get the seed to actually do something? Oh, yeah, water. One of That's one of the things. There's Warmth. A, Yes, that's another thing. Um, You're missing one more thing. Water, warmth, nutrients, like food available and shit. Oxygen. Oh yeah, oxygen is important. So uh. Uh, specifically, we need water to rehydrate their cells, and especially. Why do their cells need to be rehydrated? Because they're dried out. Ah, uh, right. Seeds are dry. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Then. Uh, and also, some seeds contain a hormone that inhibits germination, and water is needed to wash it out of the seed. Oh. Um, then also, uh, germination. We need the growth of the embryo. Uh, so we need the growth of the embryo uh, root and shoot, and this also requires water. Mm-hmm. Now, oxygen is needed for cell respiration, so we can actually start to get some things. Yeah. Get some water. Um, and not water. ATP. Yeah. Uh, and then we, and because we also have enzyme catabolized, catabolized metabolic reactions, mm-hmm. we need warmth. There's also sometimes special. Oh, ah, oh, right. Warmth is needed for the enzymes to work. Yeah. Huh. Um, there's also certain some uh, plants also might need to be burned. The seeds. What? Here, there's an example on page four hundred thirty-six. It talks about the database question. Um, Immanente penduliflora. Uh, it's basically in California, and uh, it appears after fires. What the fuck? That's weird, nature. You're weird. <laughs> um, and we also need uh, gibberellin to be synthesized. What? Gibberellin? Gibberellin. What, what it's a plant it? hormone. And what does it do? It basi- uh, it's, uh, So first of all, it makes mitosis and cell division happen in plants. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it breaks down starch. Because... Uh, so... Which actually, uh, obviously, because we need the starch, uh, it makes breaks down to the maltose, and then where that's converted into glucose or sucrose, 
uh, which can then be transported and used for the germinating seed. Okay. But now let's talk about uh, the structure of the seed. So there's an external structure and an internal structure. And a diagram of this on page 134 of the te- 434 of the textbook. Or 120 of the study guide. So there's an external structure where we have the seed coat, which mm-hmm. is also known as the testa, and a small scar where the seed was attached. Mm-hmm. And then inside... Wait, where the seed was attached to, like the... The ovary of the plant. Ah, okay. And then on uh, internally you'll see that there is a cotyledon. So this is specifically of the dicotyledonous seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, inside there's a cotyledon, which is the starch. Um, there's uh, still the seed coat around it, but also a, a radical um, the, as the bottom and a plumule on the top. Mm-hmm. It's an embryo shoot and embryo root. Hmm. And I believe that's pretty much it. That's it. That was the biology course. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, this is the last episode. Um, it was a wonderful ride, <laughs> truly. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> yep.